0: My name is David Griffith-Jones. My name is Jacob Magnol. This
1: is Designing the Robot Revolution. Designing the Robot Revolution is for people working with or interested in digital transformation and automation. In it, we discuss topics from our perspective as designers and explore perspectives of adjacent professional profiles. We cover topics professionals need to know in order to work confidently in this context.
2: So for the past uh, some 12 years I've been helping clients on their journey to become more digital. Working from that viewpoint for a period of time that it was about digitalization made me discover that that was not actually the driving force that made companies successful. It was rather the fact that we are all connected and interconnected.
0: The voice you're hearing belongs to Katarina Cornelius. Katarina has more than 20 years of experience helping companies become more successful in an increasingly digital world. She's also the author of the book, Disrupting Digital. We sat down with Katarina to really understand what makes a company successful in this modern day and age.
2: I think first of all, they are sort of born into this paradigm There are a few things that defines their business. For one, they are not getting things digital, but rather using the power of digital, which means that they are using the fact that they are all connected and interconnected. And so the more people that you actually attract as users, uh, the more uh, data. And the more information, the more insight you earn, uh, which makes them more successful, much quicker than, than a traditional company. The other thing is that they have reframed the concept of what customer value is. We used to have a product-oriented mindset, but they have a customer-centric mindset. Uh, so for instance if you talk about the car industry uh, just by labeling it the car industry you think about it as an automotive industry right whereas today most car manufacturers they talk about mobility which is the actual value it brings because i want to get from work to home or from home to work and I, it doesn't matter if it's if it's a car if it's a bus if it's a bike i want the quickest way the most sustainable way or the cheapest way of getting from A to B. The same goes with, for instance, music, where you used to define the value and put the value into the product, like a CD record or something like that. But the record in itself holds no value. It is the experience of what I, as a listener, get out of using or listening to music, and the way I can share it in real time, anywhere, anytime, and with any whom I like. And through that, of course, continue to build value by enabling me to share my favorite songs, or to get suggestions based on my favorite songs, etc. So they are, they have reframed the concept of value, which sort of turns also what we used to call the value chain upside down because it's no longer isolated industries connected in a value chain which is basically just today a cost chain where you go from a manufacturer to a distributor to a retailer to a user but these days if the manufacturers knows more about how I use the car or how I use the product, Uh, what value do these middlemen sort of really provide? These are just a few of these, let's say, Mm. new keys to success, and they are Mm. utilizing them to their advantage, whereas the old school industry would still focus on the car and try to pimp that teeth.
0: Would you say the car industry is... Uh, just because you bring it up as an example, do you would you yeah. say that they are successful?
2: Uh, yes and no. Uh, as we all know, there are different drivers to their change. You have the electromobility, and you have the interconnectedness, and you would have, of course, what I talk about as well. Uh, but for the time being, I don't. I don't. See them collaborating in a way that would really encourage mobility. Uh, I I don't see um, connecting with the local bus companies or Stirostel or all the all the voice or all the tiers uh, in the city to enable transport for me to B. So basically, the more connected and the more holistic viewpoint you have, the more successful you will become because the car is just a mean of transport. And maybe we don't even have cars in the future. We will have a transport system that sort of delivers me from A to B whenever I want to go.
1: When you look at an, um, an, an older industrial, say, organization, and there's pockets within that organisation who would recognise what you're describing and are wanting this to happen within their organisation. What What are the preconditions or or, or necessary steps that an organisation needs to go through in order to achieve this type of transition?
2: So I would say, first of all, uh, management and owners and the board of directors needs to be really aligned behind this initiative because it will be a struggle for any company. Uh, so you need a very long-term perspective and a full, full-on commitment to the, to the journey. Uh, you cannot try Uh, a bit in the corner over there because you won't uh, basically succeed if they don't have the resources so that would be one criteria Uh, the second criteria is that they move away from thinking that just because you have analog processes or uh, I don't know PDF forms on a website that people fill out, and just because you make that into a different format or whatever that is more like digital, that is not a successful way of doing that because you need to look at the value that that transition would provide. Why are you doing that, and what are you hoping to achieve? The third thing that sort of comes in the way always is the daily business because if you have a long term strategic initiative to change something the people who are involved in that uh, are probably too busy with their daily uh, workload to be able to focus on the long long term objectives that is perhaps the biggest uh, challenge to change Uh, and perhaps the fourth thing you need to educate Uh, a decent number of people in order to for them to be ambassadors or to be points of light in the rest of the organization Uh, and realize it takes time and it's also not a linear process it's an organic process and it has ups and downs and it's an investment that you need to make and you need to consider these initiatives quite differently than your core business or your daily business where you can work based on control and based on linear processes which probably have worked for you uh, when you uh, sort of came up with your core business you cannot be too much in love with your old solutions you need to fall in love with your customers problems rather than your own uh, ideas around how you used to solve those problems
0: I'm really curious about one thing that you said earlier, uh, and that is the sort of daily grind of of running the business that is your core, but then balancing the need to uh, expand and explore how how does anyone do that that? Seems like an impossible balancing act.
2: I think it is uh, not impossible, but it is a balancing act. In uh, organizational terms, you talk about the ambidextrous organization where you on one hand need to focus on your daily business. And that is perhaps where you have the cash cows and you also have the profits coming in unless you are in real trouble and you need to use those profits to Invest in these new ventures, if you like. So you need to realize that you need to do both uh, and balance between them. And uh, research has found that there are three ways of doing that. One way is, of course, you can buy yourself uh, a new business or a or a startup. That is sort of providing this new line of business into your corporation. Uh, That has its advantages and disadvantages. One of the disadvantages is that you will have, at the end of the day, a bit of trouble merging these two different cultures, these two different business ideas, these two different sizes of companies, etc., etc., to do the, the whole transformation successful. It has happened, but it's, it's, um, it's a bit difficult. The second strategy is uh, you would um, split the company or at least allocate resources that are within the company still, but they get a decent amount of time and a decent amount of resource to explore Uh, the new ventures. Then eventually the integration process between these two lines within the business will be easier when the new business has sort of grown into some real business. The third strategy is that you start a whole different operation that has uh, the sole purpose of disrupting your old business. And once again, (laughs) uh, it, it can work, but when you merge these two businesses, it will be a bit of a trouble. So research has found that the most successful way is to allocate resources within your organization to work on these new ventures, because then you will have a smoother integration process. But even that is not easy, but it over time has proven the most successful way of doing it. And there are two criterias that you need to keep in mind if you go on that path. And that is you need to find a common purpose for your core business and your new business which I would refer to as a market space. Uh, Because if you are a car manufacturer and your core business is the car and the new business is around mobility, and that could be partnerships with different companies or it could be new ventures, in different mobility areas you would need to find a a common purpose where these two businesses can feel at home and feel that they belong so you won't have like an elite team uh, which is the new business and then you will have the old team which is the core business because then you will have cultural problems and problems of prioritizing perhaps your resource so that is one thing and when you have the purpose, you will also automatically, if you if you get that shared purpose between these two parts of your business, uh, you will be able to gain another important component, and that is trust. Because as soon as you're venturing into new business and you're venturing into a path that is sort of redefining perhaps the role of your company on the marketplace, uh, you need trust in the organization because change will not happen unless you are able to build trust, Uh, which is why a change agenda or a transformation agenda during the pandemic has been really challenging as we build trust when we actually see and meet people in the physical realm rather than the digital. So uh, the trust component is sort of key for you to be successful Mm. either way
0: how do you then as a as a company become okay with the if you go for the the scientific method and you you start up a, an, initi- an initiative like that how do you become okay with the risk of things not working out
2: so equally important to training your business sort of muscles or changing your business idea or changing your portfolio of products or offers, you need to take the culture question as seriously. So you would need to install a learning organization, a learning mindset within the organization. And that is the only failure that we have in this company is that we fail to learn. Uh, it's not the failure in itself. And if you fail, please fail, interestingly, because then we can write about it. But um, if you fail, the, 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 it's part of the learning process and you need to install like learning programs. So there are several, but we, uh, when we do a massive, let's say, gap in business, we always collect the team and then we have a learning experience. So what did we set out to do? What actually happened? And what did we learn from this and how can we change uh, whatever we did until the next time? And every time we have done that, we have identified a lot of key insights, which has brought us forward. Because the only thing that brings you for- forward is actually learning. So that is important to keep in mind.
0: When you go into an organization and, and you set out on a facilitation for transformation journey, Are there any characteristics of an organization that make you shy away, that really worry you?
2: Uh, Yes, I've turned quite huge organizations down uh, because, uh, well, it's perhaps a, 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 a metaphor. But if the window towards change is not big enough or if it's non-existent, uh, then I don't set out on this journey. And then I mean from top management because they need to be 100% aligned behind the journey and understand that it's not easy. So normally I escalate I escalate top down in organization and make sure that the board of directors or the executive teams are on board with the change and that they really understand what they are buying into. And then only then uh, we would launch a program
1: and uh, so, Katerina, your book is um, about this often used word, digital transformation. It's, it's a word that we hear in lots of reports and lots of uh, executives saying they want digital transformation. What, what does transformation actually mean?
2: Mm. So the actual term uh, comes from Latin and it's a uh, two word Uh, term the first part trans comes from the word transseer which actually means to transfer or to let go and it also means to stop doing things and it actually in its core also means to die or to pass formation is easier to understand because that means to form something to create something new so you need both to let go of beliefs and things that you have always done in order to start fresh and creating your new future, which is different from uh, an incremental change where you build it step by step by starting out from a truth. Here you need to abandon something and start fresh. Uh, So that is actually transformation. And at its core, it actually means that we need to stop believing what we Used to believe was true in order to look at the world from a different viewpoint, and that is basically what the book is about it suggests another way, another outlook on the world.
1: And when you look at an organization who successfully transforms, mm. who are the key people in the organization? What roles? driving a transformation from what you've seen
2: uh again of course management needs to be behind it but i would say that it does not have so much with the role because Normally, when we work with organizations and transformation teams, we want the diversity and we want people who are passionate and are points of light in the, in the transformation. So I would say it's not so much about their formal role, but it's a combination of their attitude, their curiosity, uh, their ability to also influence other people. So like the informal leaders rather than the, uh, than the formal leaders. Uh, And they can come from any discipline. I've had the most progressive CFOs. uh, I've had the most progressive HR people. I've had the most progressive marketing executives. So it's more like their skill set and their ability to be dynamic in their way of thinking and going about stuff.
1: And what what ways have you seen as effective of gathering these diverse people with the right attitude together? How have you practically achieved bringing this team together?
2: Part of my training is as a facilitator uh, and not just as a workshop leader, but a facilitator of change. It's a whole uh, discipline in itself. But I would say that uh, the key thing is that people need to be able to integrate and translate what I say into their own truths. Hmm. And that is what facilitation does. If you do that sort of properly, you give people an opportunity to not transform, but to translate uh, something that they hear into their own mind.
1: So, so many people just think of facilitators and facilitators of, of a workshop facilitator, don't they? But it's so much more.
2: Yes. It really is. There is an, uh, an exquisite example in the, in the world of education, and that is, of course, Hyper Island. Uh, mm. They early on realized that uh, learning is not about what the teacher is sort of telling people, but how it is perceived by the students. Uh, and therefore, they always combined a really professional speaker about the topic, the what Uh, the the content but they paired that up together with a facilitator who was a process leader who uh, engaged in the receiving end of the message and made sure that people received the message and sort of uh, integrated that into their bodies if you like. It's Mm. experience-based learning that they were advocating because Mm. they put their students into situations uh, without no knowledge at all and then they had to sort of reflect afterwards what happened and that learning becomes much stronger because it's sort of integrated into your body and your being and your believing if you like.
1: what skill sets would you have in a program if you were if you were being brought in to help an organization what type of skill sets roles would you have in a team that helps? A traditional organization make this transformation
2: Mm. Uh, i would of course have people who can introduce um, uh, the team uh, to let's say the world view that i'm trying to express and sort of display and that could be uh yeah a numerous inspiring team members that have either gone through this process in their own organization or are thought leaders Uh, and that is to establish a strong why in the beginning so why would you need to change and then the outcome of those people belonging to the team is that the people in the organization need to have a clear view on the case for change and hopefully they will also have uh, understood and sort of grasped the sense of urgency to why change because without the why nothing will happen also and then uh, as a next sort of level use people uh, such as yourself, such as service designers, uh, who can help them also understand the world outside the company in a much better way. Going about and introducing them and interviewing the different uh, client levels and, or the customer levels. Uh, if it's a business-to-business organization, it can be them, their business. But at the end of the day, there are also users out there, probably, uh, so we would go layer by layer and understand their needs and what they want to get out of using the company services. And you can use a business innovation manager or someone skilled in uh, designing a, a, an offer or a concept or a product or a service, uh, of course. But it also requires, as I said before, not only the business end, but I would engage also people who are uh, working with the human capital in the organization. Mm. And that could be anything from people skilled and trained in facilitating or guiding change. It can also be people who are inspiring around neuroleadership. It can also be people who can actually teach teach the organization when it comes to different innovation methods or have them uh, successfully carrying out rapid prototyping or uh, those kind of things. So Mm. it's a lot of training, actually, uh, into different disciplines, uh, which is not only business-related but also human-related.
1: You talked earlier on about... um... The internet of information and then th- there'll be a there needs to be to, for the next paradigm shift there needs to be the internet of uh, energy and the internet of mobility and these mm. combined
2: mm.
1: is that the same thing as industry 5.0 what, what 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 is industry 5.0
2: first of all i think i would remove industry because i think that belonged to the paradigm 3.0 altogether so (laughs) i would i would remove that because i don't think that industry is 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 key Uh, it has been key of course and a lot of beliefs and systems and whatever structures we have were founded during this period of time but a lot of those things are not sustainable uh, in the future the world 5.0 the next paradigm Uh, I hope it will be more about connectedness and interconnectedness and integrated processes and integration. Integrated mobility, integrated energy, as I said, uh, but also uh, integrated over time, which means circular. We need it because the Earth cannot survive without it. That is the way of going about the future, thinking about ways where we can act interconnectively, over time or across industries uh, will be much more beneficial. We've, we saw some proof of that during the pandemic. The pandemic was horrific, but we also saw a lot of embryos of people changing their behavior to both a more sustainable, but also a more interconnected society. And if you look at the conflict that is going on in the world right now, uh, you have never seen such a massive support during the fact that we all feel more connected as well. The last time Ukraine and Russia was on the agenda, 2014, it was a whole different story. Today, our perception of what is happening has shifted. And I think we can use this mental shift in propelling us into a more... A sustainable and connected and interconnected future. I think it's only positive that that we're heading this direction and I can see proof of it.
1: Your, your book takes quite an optimistic view.
2: Mm. What most
1: excites you about the paradigm shift what do you foresee that really excites you? I
2: think it is the connectedness and the interconnectedness like the the sense that we are one. It's not like a world of competing enemies it's like we are integrated. We have one Earth, we have one people, and we can thrive if we are careful and thoughtful. So that is the optimistic, optimistic end. And, of course, there are some challenges towards that, of course, like the protectionism or people wanting to move uh, back to, um, I don't know, make truck drivers great again.
1: In in your book, you... um. You say that you've touched on this in uh, in in some of what you've spoken about, but you say that maybe a don't you have maybe an issue with the word digital and actually maybe the word network is a better word. Can you can you explain a bit what you mean about that? You know, an organisation will talk about digital transformation, but why perhaps network is a better word.
2: Again, we come back to the connectedness and the interconnectedness and the network and the networking in the world because that is the releasing power. Once we realize that the world is about the connectedness and interconnectedness and that I make my decisions based on what you have suggested on the internet, I I decide where to travel, where to eat based on what you actually submit on the internet i i let myself be entertained by what you have submitted on youtube or tiktok you are contributing to my content i am connected and networked i can even have my social um, life through all the platforms uh, the connectedness also brings about innovation i can crowdfund and crowdsource different new uh, initiatives Uh, i can educate myself because we're interconnected all the world's knowledge is actually on the internet so i need a different skill set of course when i when i study today but to me it's more about the fact that we are connected and interconnected and uh, online 24 hours a day, basically, or at least seven hours per day per person, Uh, 4.7 billion of us is connected and interconnected. And that is sort of ruling uh, this society. Digital in itself doesn't bring about any value. We had a digital camera. That was not connected, interconnected. I could still only use the camera for taking photos. Whereas the photo services today, like the Snapchat, I can can share my life in real time, anywhere, anyhow, and with any whom I like. So it's a different set of logics to the connectedness. And I think you miss out on that if you only talk about digital. Mm. We had digital watches, but... Mm. Hey, what was really the difference in terms of behavior? I had an analog watch and I still used it only to look what time of the day it was. Uh, so that is not the driving force. The driving force is that we are connected and interconnected, uh, rather than just merely digital.
1: And is that what is is meant by netocracy? That it's it's people who are connected are the ones who are the new ruling class. Can you just explain netocracy a bit?
2: Well, it is the people that sort of realized uh, the potential of that. So they would be today's upper class because they have an advantage because they've seen all the possibilities that this interconnectedness has brought to them and their business. Whereas the people who are perhaps staring blind at the world digital or which, by the way, has 20 different interpretations. If you go out and talk to people and you ask them, you say that you want to digitize your business, but what do you mean? You would have 20 different answers Mm. because they don't know quite how to, what should I do with it? I mean, uh, that is not Mm. to me transformation. That is only, uh, I don't know, making something in a different form that does not change behaviors that does not change the way we go about the whole thing
0: I'm just curious you, your your book uh, the topic of, of transformation is in itself changing and do you feel like since you've written the book is there anything that you feel like oh I really need to update
2: uh, yes and no because uh, interestingly enough I thought the book's content was quite old when I issued it (laughs) because I've been working with it for such a long time. Uh, But, uh, you know, the law of diffusion of innovation, where you have different companies, I mean, adapting to new technology and innovation. And, of course, there are companies that are very early on, like the innovators, early adopters. But there are also numerous companies and organizations who didn't even start on their journeys yet. Uh, So that's a bit fascinating. So, yes, for the future, guys, I would like to update a few things but uh, uh, for uh, for many industries they still find this book very I don't know novel if you like. Uh, from my end uh, I think uh, I did not explore the world 5.0 but I would like to sort of uh, reinforce the message that has to do with and holistic view and I think I would also like to reinforce uh, the parts that talk about sustainability because at the end of the day uh, and not only since yesterday when we had another climate report coming out but the, 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 the premier purpose of using new technology would to bring out or make, make the world more sustainable. And in order to do that, you need to uh, have a more holistic view, a more integrated way of doing things. Like, uh, we have the internet today. That is a great network where we exchange information. But uh, where I see it um, and would like to explore more is that uh, it's not only an internet of information, but uh, and that has become evident just recently, Uh, We would also need to have a similar structure when it comes to energy where we exchange energy and we would also like to see a similar structure when it comes to transportation so an internet of transport, an internet of energy and an internet of information and when you have these three forces coming together uh, we will enter into the next paradigm and we will need that in order to actually be uh, full full on sustainable.
0: We have Jeff that writes on Mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Yeah. As we all know so well, Walking the user-centric talk is so hard for most organizations. I also experienced during COVID that user interviews were harder to come by, and when you did get them, you realized that uh, we were overworking, over-engaging the same customer a little bit as well. So you could end up with user-centric insight, but sometimes too often from the same user or segment. What a great lovely point, comment! Jeff. Yes, totally see that uh, in the
1: organizations I've worked with. I mean, you could almost make a kind of caricature joke about it couldn't you that hey we're we're user-centric and act but we're just asking the one user who's (laughs) sat in our closet somewhere the same question over and over and over again and joke about that but i I, we've spoken about before how organizations tend to as we all do like as humans Mm. we tend to approach people who we know already who we have a good relationship with who it's easy to approach with and that can mean you don't push yourself to speak to more, a more representative group of users and customers, mm. and that you end up with a very unrepresentative and undiverse group of uh, that you've based the research on.
0: Yeah, and I think there is one simple thing that you can do to at least like because this is a this is a problem that is has to do with logistics more than anything. Mm. It takes time and it's complicated to find yeah. people. Yeah. What we can do, and what I suspect that many people do do, is ask the person that you're talking to, who do you think would be interesting? It's a very good tip. Like if you do that every time, sooner or later you're gonna have spoken to every user. Uh, might take a while, but I think that's how I would go about it. Like that's the. Ideally, you would be able to just randomly pick someone, but that's most often not the case. And
1: it, it highlights the difference again, because Jeff works in the B2B space, business right. to business, as do we. And actually, we saw some other comments from, from Aurica, for example, who works in the public sector where everyone is the user. Um, and working with business to consumer, working with a big retailer. I mean, you can pretty much just go and stand on the high street and stop people. And you're going to get someone who's had some experience of a major retail brand. But if you mm. are doing business to business,
0: it it, right. it can be harder. And lastly, so Jeff Ulrika and then Rasmus yeah. uh, brings up a really good point as well, I think. Just see yourself as the mediator and be aware that you are mm. so that you take that responsibility mm. seriously, basically. Mm. Because it, it, it is easy to become complacent sometimes. I, I'm... Not going to say that I'm never, uh, but yeah, really fascinating stuff in the LinkedIn uh, on and the episode uh, where you can listen to more of this is user centricity with integrity. I believe that's episode four. Yes, and um, we'll also link to the thread about dark patterns that David put up on LinkedIn in the show notes below I'm happy with that Yeah, that's really good I want to recommend everyone check out Katarina's book Disrupting Digital 46 keys to grow into the business logic of our networked world Links to where you can buy the book in both Swedish and English can be found below All music in this episode was performed by Vendela. My name is Jacob Magnal joined by David Griffith-Jones Have a great day